0: welcome to the stacking slabs podcast join brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right get ebay ready get paypal ready let's be students of the game and stack those slabs
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to a very merry Christmas edition of The Hobby Hustle. I am here with a reoccurring guest. It's the second time on the show, and I felt like since it was Christmas, bring the family member back. I am joined here by my big brother, Kyle. Kyle, welcome back to The Hobby Hustle, and a merry Christmas to you.
0: Yeah, merry Christmas. Man, going round two here. It's an honor
1: yeah so we uh obviously we are recording this in advance, and hopefully if you get a chance to uh listen to this on Christmas, that's great, but you can listen to it whenever, and hopefully you'll still find value. um, so I think, Kyle, before I start the conversation uh we we were talking about just the maturation we've had over the course of the year, and the hobby, and I definitely want to get into that, but maybe since it is christmas uh today and this episode can be somewhat Christmas themed we will not be dressing up if you're watching this on video <laughs> in dumb ugly Christmas sweaters and we won't be doing 30 days of this but um we will <laughs> not we, happening not happening today um how about like so when I think about our Christmases growing up the one thing that stands out to me is the era where we were like getting Sega in Super Nintendo games and I vividly remember like Street Fighter 2. And I vividly remember um, being in your room because you had Super Nintendo in your room and playing that like game until my eyes bled. And definitely we got in a lot of fights about winning and losing. But that's like a, a memory to me that stands out about growing up in Christmas. What about
0: you? Yeah, I mean, that's it's funny you say that because, yeah, those are the immediate memories that come back to me are, you know getting the latest game system, right? And then having those epic battles back and forth. I think, I think you and I being three years apart, there was a lot of competitiveness between the two of us. Uh, and especially when it came to video games, I, I remember a lot of remotes being thrown across the room or at each other or games being stopped uh, midway. Cause as the older brother, I could never take losing, I think to you and, and any of those games and uh, more, more often than not, you would get the best of me. Uh, but yeah I mean you know between the video game stuff and then we went through an era too if you remember uh, there was one Christmas in particular It was like the starter jacket Christmas like you know and and I think your present and I think it was so vivid for me was you wanted a Charlotte Hornets because you were big into Larry Johnson at that point in time right and you were devastated that you didn't open it up Christmas morning and I think mom had to tell you that Hey, Grandma is actually giving you that gift later when we get to her house. So don't have a meltdown. You're going to get it. And I mean, those are just like growing up between video games and cards and, you know, NBA starter jackets and stuff. Those are just some cool memories to reflect on.
1: Yeah. And I guess, uh, yes, that story is true. And I, I was, and I still consider myself a huge grandma, ma fan. And it's funny you bring up that starter jacket and we got to shout out my man, Jake. 90s b-ball cards he just had a chat with Lefco and that that actual hornet
0: starter jacket got
1: brought up in that episode <laughs> <That's> right
0: <laughs> i know it's a popular item everybody's talking about it might as well bring it back again
1: yeah they well they had such a i don't know it kind of goes into the the mentality of the hobby and just everyone who wants to prospect and like these prism cards and these rookies of all these guys and what they're going for it kind of like goes back to like my mindset back then it was like I was all about like the young unproven talent with like, and I, what I gravitated towards that team because they had Larry Johnson and Alonzo morning and they were young. And, um and I don't know, it's just the way I think it, obviously the hobby is obsessed with just the futures of players. And we're seeing that with prices of guys in the NBA who are just like, not even they're just getting going. So speculation is, is just a crazy uh, part about the hobby. And I think, maybe that's an area we can jump into because definitely it's a part that I still like to do. And I'm a big part of that. Obviously I've talked about Seku, and um, he's my big bet and I've grown to be a fan of this kid. I mean, I was watching him last night on NBA league pass and just, it's fun to align yourself with, with certain players, but I don't necessarily recommend like that being all you're doing. Cause then it's almost like you're, you're at Vegas and you're gambling playing a slot machine and, you know what happens in Vegas, right? You might win a little bit. You'll <laughs> lose most of the time. So maybe, like, talk about your like your mindset from like where you were when we talked. Maybe the, you're the first guest of the Hobby Hustle
0: to yeah. where you're at now. Yeah, and I think when we first talked, that was May timeframe, which is when I just got into the hobby, right? And I think, if I, I went back and listened to the episode, and it's just funny to to see the evolution for both you and I and the conversations and our interests. Um, you know, at that point in time, I was just trying to figure out what cards were relevant. Um, you know, what, what did people, uh, typically navigate or gravitate to, uh, from a rookie perspective and what sports were still popular. Um, and like anybody, right. You, I jumped into it with the nostalgic feeling of, you know, trading cards being younger, but then now being an adult, like, oh, there's like an investment aspect of it. And like, that's a cool, like flip and a new, um, way to view the hobby. And so I probably spent the first couple months just with that prospecting mindset that that you and just shared. I mean, we, I looked at NBA prospects and, you know, that was really what we focused in on at the time and our conversations back and forth um, and bought up, you know, the jaws and um, um, some of the Zion cards out there. And, you know, we bundled them up and they're still in grading right now. Right. And they'll come back. And I bought, you know, prism cards I bought, select cards, which I love the select cards and, and optic cards. And I think over the last couple months, what I've really realized is, you know, finding that passion and in your interest and why you're in the hobby. For me, like I look at those cards now and I look at what I have sitting, you know, in my, my collection. Um, and it's, you know, they just don't excite me. I mean, they're just, they're common cards and yeah, they serve a purpose. And, you know, I took the approach of buying a lot of PSA nines to, you know, the tens were kind of out of my, my budget at the time, but, um, you know, those, what I'm using to sell. And then as we've talked, I take that profit and I put it towards cards that matter to me. Um, and what I found is the cards that matter to me are cards that represent moments in kind of my, my sports fandom or in my life, whether it's, you know, a Reggie Miller card that kind of symbolizes his you know, eight points and nine seconds against the Knicks, right? That era. Um, or you know, I buy a lot of Peyton Manning cards again because you know, being a quarterback, growing up playing, uh, he was somebody I idolized. As he took over the reins in Indianapolis, um, won the Super Bowl. So I take that money and I put those two, those cards that have low pop. They're harder to find, but you know, at the end of the day, for me, that like those are that's why I'm back in the hobby. So it's just funny over from May to to now in December. Um, to see that evolution, and I know our conversations have grown you know um, in that mindset as well, so you know for me, that's kind of the biggest adjustment in my approach to the hobby right now,
1: yeah, and I think a lot of people that I'm finding out, including myself, go through that, and I think it's trying to strike the right balance of how can you be in the game of trading commodities of rookie cards of active and current players that the market wants that are hot right now to fund your PC and fund those cards of the Reggie Millers and the Peyton Mannings that matter to you. And I think getting, building out the process is something that is I'm working on. I know you're working on regularly. Um, I, and I also want to comment on this is that, I've gotten obviously some orders back from PSA and my mentality on those was, all right, I'm going to show these off on Instagram and then I'm going to just sell them all so I can load up my PayPal and buy some big cards that I want right now. I think I, my cards came back before your cards came back and actually you might be in the driver's seat though, because your cards might come back right in the thick of when (laughs) NBA madness is happening. Have you thought about that at all?
0: Yeah, I have, you know, and it's funny because I go back and I look at, you know, my Excel file, right, of, that I submitted and I'm like, I don't even know what I put in to PSA. So to go back and think, okay, a majority of them right now are NBA cards. And to your point, yeah, if they come back, it'll be great to to move those during NBA season uh, once they start up. But yeah, it, you know, again, it. I don't, I went in to buying those cards thinking, great, these are going to be great to have in my PC um, and maybe I want to start, you know, building a clutch around a jaw or a Zion or, or whatnot. But again, as I've grown over time, they just, I just have found other passions in the hobby. And I quite frankly, can't wait to move those cards once they come in. I, it's until you start selling cards, you don't realize how much fun it is to sell a freaking card on eBay. Um, I used to get the rush of, you know, going into an auction and, you know, watching the clock count down and think, okay, I'm going to get this card or making that last second bid with two seconds left to hope that you get it. That was fun. What's even more fun is when you post a card and you get that little notification on your phone that somebody else has like raised their price of that card. And you're like, you know, this is great. Um, I, I sold a Jaron Jackson BGS95 uh, recently, and it set an all-time high from a sales for that card. And that's just such a cool feeling. Um, and again, it, you know, all that goes into my PayPal and I've been able and fortunate to, to group all those, um, those, uh, uh, cards that I sold to buy a bigger, cooler car that I want. And that's going to be my mentality when those PSA orders come back is to try to flip those as, as fast as I can, um, and buy it towards something else to add to my PC.
1: Yeah. The rush of selling is real. And I'm telling you, I'm in that mode too, where I am constantly listing, like I, to prepare for the Peyton Manning auction uh, of PWCC that I didn't win anything because it was highly competitive and all those cards almost hit an an all time high. Um, But I uh, to prepare for that. I had to, you know, I sold a bunch of cards off and then, you know, that was a rush to see how much those were going to go for and get that money into my PayPal. And now I find myself a week after, even after being done with that, looking at my PC and, selling six more cards that are going to end tonight. And so I think to anyone out there who's maybe has a hoarder mentality and has is hesitant on selling, like just get in the game and sell a little bit because that experience will give you some indicators on if it's something you want to do or not. But I was not expecting the feeling that you just described and, um, but I think that's that's part of it, right? You got to be active and you got to make moves and a lot of activity. Uh, what is your thoughts just in just the amount of like the volume of activity you have to do in order to find opportunities?
0: Oh yeah, I mean that's and real quick before I lose this thought on, this, on the the selling side of it, a learn a lesson that I learned and and you uh, gave me this great advice from selling a card perspective. You know, I used to post something above you know what I saw recent comps on eBay and. Then you sit and wait for the card to be sold, right? When you have it to buy it now. And it's like, sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't work. Every move I make now selling, thanks to your advice is I put a card up for an auction one or three days started at 99 cents. And man, that just gets people nibbling, right? And then what you learn is once people are nibbling and they're bidding on this, like they don't want to lose the card. So you get that activity and, and selling actually feels good. And you actually see the movement of those cards, which, you know, is going to make you want to sell more cards on the platform. So that's just kind of some great advice you've given me, uh, you know, from a sales perspective. And I don't know if you shared it uh, with the audience here, but, you know, just a, a great takeaway to have. Um, but in terms I got, of, I, know, got,
1: I I got, Let me ahead. comment on that because I, I always cite my sources. And this is the best part about the hobby is because I was a buy it now guy. And I thought buy it now and put an offer, do this, that and then my perspective changed when i uh started regularly communicating with andy sports card investigator he just says no like he goes 99 cents 24 hour auction he's like test the market and this is like way to do it and like once i did it i was like what the fuck was i doing like this is, <laughs> this, is this is this is like you, you, you there's no time i'm very impatient there it, and it literally is the true test of what the market says about that card so that's the only way I roll now, just because you don't have to wait. And like listing sucks; it takes a while. But yeah. And that ne- that next day, you're like, oh, I get the reward of seeing where these cards go. You know.
0: Yeah, and so um, you know, one of my new like fanboy people in the hobby that I love following is you know PR Ryan Collection, right? I think everybody's seen a video or two over the past couple weeks that he's put out. But you know, he was talking about the other day that you know once you determine to sell a card. Don't have FOMO. I mean, just just sell the card. Like you've made the mental decision. You're going to put it out there. So to fear that you're not going to catch it at the all-time high or that if you wait six more months when NBA season's midway through that you're going to get more money, like who cares at that point, you know, get rid of it out of your collection, get the money and put it towards something that you love. And so that's, you know, where I've gotten to recently looking through, you know, the stacks of my my non-PC that I just want to move. I've got three that are in auction right now that I know by Sunday night, um, I'm going to have that money in my PayPal account. Whatever that money is, is going to be gravy to me because I didn't want these cards anyway. Um, So I think that's just the mentality that you've got to get to from a sales perspective. And when you can do that, then you can prospect and get yourself positioned that when you find a card that's out there that you want to bid on, but yet you need uh, a little bit of bankroll in order to support that purchase. Then you put those, you know, one day or three day auctions together, and you know you're going to have those funds in your account uh, to use towards those those purchases that you want to make.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And shout out P Ryan getting a lot of mentions on the show. You can see that 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 uh, video definitely had an impact and a ripple effect on the hobby. But I I I took you off the tracks. Maybe put you back on the tracks <laughs> about act activity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of like the the amount of activity to get something you want, I I think you go through the same process where there was recently a, and I'll just tell the story. So uh, one of my my personal collection Grail cards that I've always wanted is like a 1998 Peyton Manning Topps Auto card. You've got one in your collection. It's one I've always admired. You know, I've started to collect some, you know, higher end Peyton cards, which I love. Um, and so I saw one pop up that was within striking distance. Right, because they're expensive cards, and you know, for me in the hobby, and I looked at you know my collection, and I realized like I had a couple Lucas, I had um, a Jaw, and I had my Jaron Jackson, and you know, from an activity perspective, it was like kind of getting through that mental hurdle of that FOMO, fear are missing out. I put them up for auction. You kind of wait around to get those monies, with the hope that that card doesn't sell in the process. Right, and I you know, it's, it's kind of that mental agony of not looking at eBay to see if that card's still there because that devastation sets in if you missed out on it. But, um, you know, fortunately I was able to, you know, to, to move those cards and reached out and then the activity of negotiating with the seller, because it was a buy it now situation. And, you know, I kind of sent him a personal note, you know, with kind of my, my, um, idea of, of adding it to the collection and, you know, just, you know, kind of gave him my story of Peyton and why I'm collecting it. And, He accepted my offer right away without any back and forth. So, you know, just to get that one card that I, you know, it's a, it's a coffin card for me. And I know you had you had a cool uh, um, show and tell the other day on that topic. But you know, there was a lot of activity from the purchase that I made of those original Lucas and Jaws and other cards to deciding to move them to negotiating back and forth with that seller to get a card that now, like I. I don't think I've been happier making a purchase, even some most money I've spent on a card than I did getting that because I knew that card meant so much to me. And it's something I've been shooting for. And when we spoke back in may, I mean, that was like a, a far-fetched dream to acquire something like that one day, but it's just that, that cycle of getting cards, grading cards, like selling them and accumulating that cash and leveling up to buy something that you've always wanted is such a cool feeling.
1: A couple of things there to mention. Uh, one you met and I this is something the audience should take note of because it's something I always do when I want a card on eBay send the personal message like send the note tell them I this happened to me this week and getting a, a a communication stream with the seller it's an easy way to build rapport and typically if you've got someone reasonable on the other side there's some flexibility so that that's that's one thing I wanted to call out that that you said another thing that I actually um I messaged Chris uh, House of Jordans before we started recording because they're doing the crossover tonight like they always do every Friday. And I typically don't respond with like a question. I just sit and view because it's a great show. But I had a, a, uh, qu- I wanted him to talk about a topic on the show, and I'd love to get your perspective because one thing you you said triggered it is that I asked the question, What, like, can you talk about this topic of selling to prepare for a grail purchase or going and acquiring the grail purchase and then selling to get out of the debt of that grail purchase, which my, I think my mentality and the way you described it from your end was like, I hope this card doesn't go. These cards need to sell. Like, I'm going to get the monies first, but to sell it. But then like my mindset, and I know I'm not promoting, like get in debt with cards, But like, if you've got the assets to back it up and a card pops up that you have to have, I can definitely see the reason to have to do that. So I love to get your
0: thought process on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it all boils down to at the end of the day, how much does that card mean to you? And could you, could you live with yourself if you didn't get it right money aside, because I, this was my first time making the purchase, right? And I wanted to go with the mentality of like, I want to accumulate the funds in order to purchase it. But man, during that whole exercise, I just kept sitting there fretting that that card was going to disappear and I was going to miss out on it. And I did reach that point point. was like, I wish I would have just, I should have just bought it now knowing I had the, fun, the funds on the come, coming, right? That um, I would have been able to, to support that purchase. But yeah, it's, I think a mental exercise to go through And if there's a card out there that you just know that this is something you've had on your radar for so long, I mean, if you know you've got the inventory to uh, replenish funds spent, I would go for it next time around. Um, But again, I think it's every exercise you and I have gone through and conversations we've had, there's so many lessons learned, good and bad, from stuff that we've done, people we've invested in, you know, grading experience, buying and selling experience. And you just kind of Build that acumen as you continue to progress in your tenure in the hobby. Absolutely.
1: Switching topics here and something I want to get into a little bit, and I will promote it because you just created it, but you just created a card dedicated page on Instagram, McGrath Cards, which is a great place for you to have an account where you can engage in the Instagram community and post pictures of your cards and the stories behind those card purchases, which is fun awesome i've enjoyed reading those and obviously in the hobby instagram is such a big thing right that's where it seems like everyone is and there's content everywhere um you know content creators on instagram content creators on youtube this and that what like so much content out there to you what what defines like good content and content that like you'll keep coming back to good content
0: for me is content that's authentic I think right now in the hobby, you can, you know, spend five, 10 minutes listening to, you know, somebody talk on a podcast or in a YouTube video and quickly realize if they're authentic or not. And authenticity is what keeps me coming back to listen to more. Um, and I think that's the coolest thing about the, you know, not only getting back into the hobby, I know you and I, our relationship is is blossomed just in terms of like, you know, being brothers in this hobby together and sharing experiences. Um, it's been awesome to get back into the hobby to, to collect cards now that I can hold on to, but I think one of the other cool factors and takeaways for me is the people in this hobby that we're around or listening to are awesome individuals that are willing to share and help. Um, and especially if you find those authentic voices and I, you know, a couple of shout outs, you know, Chris from house to Jordan's, I know you guys are, are friends. I mean, I could listen to anything that he puts out there. Josh from Cardboard Chronicles. I know those two are teamed up to do Card Ladder. I mean, those two just tell stories and I feel like they've got the hobby's best interests in mind, right? Um, I told, I talked about P.R. Ryan, the P. Ryan collection as well. Again, another authentic voice that you hear the passion when they're talking about cards and why they're doing stuff and that they're in it just to share their stories and experiences. So as new entrants to the hobby, we know what to look out for. And I think obviously then the hobby's got another faction to it um uh, that's there to to make money and to move cards and to do their thing and god bless them right like we all are in the hobby together but for me it's that authenticity that makes me want to tune in and listen to certain folks and share their experiences
1: yeah and i my deal is and people might take this the wrong way like we're trying to create divisions and try to create factions in the hobby and like that's not necessarily the case however like this is this market is you know an 8 to 10 billion dollar market that's completely unregulated you've got people that are kids collecting all the way up to you know grandfathers that are collecting anywhere in between so there's this vast demographics within the hobby and different interests that I believe based on what I do for a living and how I consume content and how everyone's got a different approach that we really need to start focusing in from a content creation, from 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 everything. My mic, my mic just fell. Um, You're getting excited,
0: man. I like it. It's passion. That's why people tune in.
1: But, anyways, my thing is, is like, what, uh, like, we just need to, we need to know that, like, this hobby is way too big, and we need to start creating some sort of segmentation around the interests of everyone because some people like to make money. Some people like to collect. Some people like to make money and collect. Some people like to make flip. So like maybe talk to me a little bit about like the, all the different divisions, interests, and things that you see, and maybe a potential like solutions or things that you've been thinking about in order to better group people together.
0: Yeah. And you know what, the grouping thing's interesting, right? Because again, we all, I think, again, going back and listening to our initial conversation, I came into the hobby with this investor mindset. And that you know what a great way to get involved and make some money on the side, and then it's grown and developed as I've you know gotten to know the hobby more, gotten to you know understand where my passion lies within, um, and you know I would kind of position myself more as a collector than anything, but anything now. But the thing is, I wouldn't be where I'm at in my collection if there weren't investors out there, um, if people weren't out there to buy my you know Jaron Jackson BGS, you know. Prism Silver rookie cards or my Luca's PSA nine select cards. I wouldn't have the cash to be able to fund some of the cards that mean the most for me in my collection. So you know there are you know folks that have different mindsets in in the hobby, and that's okay. I mean, each of us helps each other achieve the goals. And I think the challenge right now in talking with folks that are in the hobby is that certain people are turned off or turned on depending on the topics or the approach. Or somebody's got their next top five selling cards that they want to promote, or somebody's just quite frankly getting on to tell their story about a purchase that they made. I think you can learn from both. I know I started out listening to a lot of the videos that were investment oriented or or who the hot picks should be. but it just helped me get more comfortable with the hobby. It helped me learn more about the hobby, and quite frankly, I don't think I'd be here mentally from a, a collector perspective if it wasn't for those early learnings. so you know, those are just kind of my initial thoughts on on the different segments that exist out there, but you know, I think the hobby's special because there are all those segments out there that exist.
1: I love it. Maybe we can talk a little bit about wax and ripping wax. I know this is something that we both love and we both have to self restrain ourselves from spending a thousand dollars on a hobby box of prison football, which I just I know how much fun we would have going through that hobby box of prison football. And I know you, there was a time where you had a little bit of free time where you're able to go and get blaster boxes at target on Mondays. And cause you love the thrill of the rip. Um, how have you like balanced that thrill of the rip out with this new collector investor mindset um, in terms of, where you're directing the money you're spending in the hobby.
0: Yeah. So, man, there's nothing like opening up a pack of cards, right? Like money aside, just opening it up, flipping through each card one by one slowly to see who you got. And then, you know, that rush if you pulled somebody that you were, it's a big name out of that set. It's such a cool feeling. And, you know, I—it it is something that I, I still take part in every once in a while, but you've got to be smart about it. I, like you mentioned, I knew kind of when the target deliveries were at at my local target. So I was fortunate during the mosaic kind of basketball phase of being able to go and grab some blaster boxes and open those up. And, you know, as job takes over and and other commitments, you know, it's harder and harder to get out there, but that's financially uh, acceptable to pay 20 bucks for a blaster box. Right. I was at the local target recently and, you know, the, the prism football cards, blasters were out or not out, but obviously going for for that price. And then I went to local card shop too to look, and they're going for almost 90 bucks out there. And I'm like, this is just, or a pack of cards out of like a a box was going for around $90 or so. And I'm like, this is just insane to spend that much money to hopefully hit on five cards in a pack or whatever it is. Right. So where I've found my lane and you and I've done this a couple of times is I think I just text you and I just get an itch every once in a while. I'm like, hey, let's go in and buy, you know, uh, I think we bought an, a, a hobby box, not a hobby box, we bought a mega maybe of Optic at one point during the summer. And we split the cost. And I think you were in va- on vacation at the time. And I just kind of FaceTimed you and we opened it up. It was fun, right? We did a, a draft back and forth picking teams. So that kind of scratched the itch at that point in time. I think your audience knows that you're big into wrestling. I'm not quite sure if I'm letting the cat out of the bag on that one or not. But <laughs> Uh, You may have talked about it once or twice before, but uh, was it disputed? Was that the undisputed uh, undisputed? Excuse me. So, you know, we grew up watching wrestling together, you know, and so I have the memories of like the nineties wrestlers and not so much about today's age, but you know, you and I have conversations here and there that on that topic, but we bought a undisputed hobby box and and ripped that open. And that was a blast um, and split the cards up as well. And then, you know, I think for Christmas, you know, we're getting a a Top's Finest 1998 box to open up. So I get my fix, I guess, connecting with you every once in a while to split a box and open it up. Um, I've done breaks before. They're fun, but man, it's a gamble because I mean, half the fun is just seeing what team you get. Uh, Next thing you know, if you spend a hundred bucks, you get a crap team and then you sit there and watch, you know, no returns come in.
1: That's the double kick in the balls. It is. You spend 120 bucks on a, on a, on a uh, break and you get like, you know, you get the jets and then like they, and you don't even get any parallels or no
0: rookies. It's like, it's such a, you know, it's such a letdown, but that's, you know, but that's, if you can't afford or want to pay for say a a new prism football hobby box, but you want to at least see the cards or get some cards. I mean, it's a great entry point. It's just, for me, it's not sustainable to do that every weekend uh, to try to, Keep your fingers crossed and hit on something, but you know the benefits of, of opening up wax. You know you'll get hits here and there, and I've got cards that are in, on in grading at PSA. Um, but then what I've just started to do instead of keeping them all in you know a box in my closet or whatnot is I send them into stock, especially the rookies, right? Because you know these have no value to me anymore, and I if I can make some money off of them, great. And I've found that that's a great platform to send cards in and post them and and try to make some money here and there that I can then use to fund some other individual car uh, purchase that I want to make. So it's just, I think with anything, right? Finding what works for you, what's that rhythm look like. And that's kind of how I've satisfied, you know, my fun and my excitement of, of opening up packs without, you know, stressing about doing that all the time. Yeah. And I, 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 Again, I, I always preface this, I, I
1: believe in breaks and I believe breaks are re- a good thing for the hobby. It it allows for an entry point, but I think it's important on the breaking side is to have a um, realistic expectations when you're going into those things. My expectations when I pay a hundred bucks to enter a break is I'm going to see new cards I'm going to be entertained for a couple hours, and I'm going to get the opportunity to meet some people in the room. And if I get some cool cards, great. But my expectation right. is it I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the one-of-one one Zion um, out of that break. That's
0: just unrealistic. Or when you pull a Russell Wilson stained glass window in a break. I mean – What was your chances on that one? That was (laughs) insane. But that's like the drug that makes you keep coming back when you finally hit on one of those, right? It it told me to not go back into breaks for a (laughs) long time.
1: And shout out Chris Keller at Top Shelf Breaks for pulling that one for me. Okay, maybe we can just close out talking about a couple of topics. I think there's so much going on in the market. It's grown substantially. Things are happening. Companies are getting acquired. New technologies are popping up just from your business side and your business perspective like what are you seeing going into 2021 and like where are my, where might there be some opportunities for you know innovation or
0: disruption what do you think so my hot button topic right now and this is true for anything is customer service and responsiveness so i think we all understand that the grading process is bogged down right now and it's taking an enormous amount of time to get cards back, right? But I think you've gone through this before. Like when you actually get them back and you open them up, it's like a great experience and it's worth the wait. My frustration right now is when you, I have submitted through a couple subs um, and I've set stuff personally and then you and I are sending stuff in jointly. But for the subs that I've gone through, I can only imagine what a thankless job that is, but they're such a, a great part of the hobby. But if you have no visibility to where your order is at, you know, one sub that I think we're both through, they've they've got a spreadsheet that kind of keeps you a track of like where it's at in the process, which is great. Like, all right. Yeah. I understand it's taken forever, but I at least know they're in grading right now and I can track it. But then I've got another one that, you know, it was my first submission and that was back in, I think June. And they don't have any like outward communication or any visibility on tracking their stuff. And I've waited until December now to finally reach out to just to say, Hey, have you guys heard anything and it, they've gone dark on me and I you know have no visibility on the process in my fear and I know it's not the case but is are my cards ever going to come back right have they lost my order I don't know what that is but I think customer service and being responsive to, to inquiries is key now on the other side of the coin I I plugged Starstock earlier the responsiveness from those folks in their customer service department are phenomenal I I made a recent submission um I had two Submissions actually in one package. One of the submissions almost posted instantly to my my account, but the other one was still in progress. So I waited about a week or two, and I emailed their customer service rep that had reached out to me to let me know that they would received my my stuff. And he got back to me the same day. I mean, it was a great conversation. So I have visibility where my cards are at. I know when they're going to be posted. I know why they didn't post as soon as the first ones. But it's like, hey, thank you. It's going to make me want to do business with you again. So I everybody talks about technology advancements in the hobby and they've got to come at some point, right? Like if, if uh, SpaceX can launch a rocket and send it back and it touched down for Christ's sake, like the grading industry has got to get better from a technology perspective in the near future. But I think one of the things that the hobby can do, or the industry can do just to satisfy the community is just be responsive and and open with communications Um, and, you know, answering questions where needed. And again, it's, It's a hot button topic because it's kind of a pain point for mine right now and that normal stuff's at. But it's amazing, not just in the card hobby, but just with life in general. When people aren't responsive or uh, don't get back to you, it just blows my mind, especially when you're the one spending money with them uh, to have a service.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the companies that focus in on end-to-end customer experience that is laser focused on communication along each step of the way. Those are the companies that are going to win regardless of the product. Um, And I hope more companies that are entering the market or existing currently in the market, get that and know that um, because I agree with everything you, you said there. All right, let's close it out with this. What, what is one thing that you're most excited for entering 2021 in the hobby? Good question.
0: I think it's, my excitement is just going into the next season of NBA basketball, the next season of the NFL, and where my approach is from a card perspective. I think one of the lessons learned you and I both had is going into this most recent NFL season, prospecting players and specialty positions. And we. I think we both learned some lessons on some of the guys that we went after and where we thought the market and the hobby was going to go. But I think it'll be interesting to see if that ever comes to fruition in 2021. It'll be interesting to see if how big you know second year cards for NBA players, especially since um, you know Jaws and the Zion's and those guys are going to enter into their second year. How how much those cards take off? Plus two, I'm just excited to see more folks enter the hobby, more content creators come into the hobby and bring value. I mean, when you've got some of these og collectors and uh i think your your latest podcast was it burbank cards was that yeah i mean listening to his stories and just that was awesome like i hope more people in 2021 that have that experience say hey brett let me jump on your podcast and just share my stories or jump on you know somebody else's podcast to share stories because i think that's where we get the greatest value is learning from each other man i hope national comes back in 2021 that'd be fun to go to as well so
1: yes, we'll see yeah Yeah, no, those are good thoughts. And yes, the card father, I got to have him back on for more stories because he has talked about a guy that's been dedicated to it and seen everything. But man, this is fun. It is Christmas. Hopefully at this point that this goes live, we will have pulled multiple Peyton Manning, (laughs) uh, Top's finest refractors out of that uh, hobby box. And hopefully
0: the cards aren't stuck together too bad. My biggest fear. And I think jokingly, we've, we've talked about, you know, all right, how do you prevent them from sticking? I think we've heard everything from putting them in a freezer and and letting them kind of settle to, you know, all right, if we find cards stuck, how do we get them detached without ruining them? So yeah, I hope we get some good pulls. But hey, before you kind of close out shop, I just got to give you props from brother to brother. I I know you started this thing beginning of May timeframe, right? Stacking slabs and constantly when you're on other podcasts and people talk to you, they're always blown away that, hey, you guys are, you started this up when? Like you're only how early into the hobby, so I thank you for all the advice you've given me. I thank you for what you're doing for the community and keep up the great work. And you know, it's fun to see you make these connections throughout the hobby with some of these folks that I think we all look up to and idolize from collectors. Because again, we all learn from each other. It's such a cool thing that we're all growing in the hobby together. So keep up the good work, proud of you.
1: We'll take those words from the big brother. It's a, it, it definitely is an advancement over. Throwing uh Super Nintendo controllers at my head after <laughs> Ch- Chung Lee beat down <laughs> Ryu and Street Fighter two and
0: Christmas
1: 95.
0: Very true. Very true. Yeah. I think I got good at the controller throw uh, that year. That's for sure.
1: Well, thanks for jumping on. I'll have you definitely back on soon. Take it easy, man.
0: Right on. Cheers.